kick it. Hey everybody, this is Levi from the Edit Bay. If you're tuning in with us right now, this is part two of our two-parter Adams Family coverage. If you'd like to hear our thoughts on the Adams Family TV show, please listen to last week's episode, episode 2.1. This week we'll be talking about the Adams Family movies. 1991 brought us the feature motion picture, The Adams Family, which I think it's safe to say, and everyone already knows, that this might just be our favorite interpretation of this family. Oh, we're going to gush, guys. Get ready. <laughs> and two years later came Adams Family Values with the exact same cast. The director was Barry Sonnenfeld, and from what I can see on my little bit of research, this was his first movie to direct. But he went on to direct quite a few other comedies, including Get Shorty, Men in Black, Wild Wild West, The Tick TV series, and the list goes on and on. He's had his hand in a lot of entertaining movies. Yes. But let's go past Mr. Sonnenfeld and enter this cast right here. Amazing. My favorite... Raul Julia as Gomez. Oh, uh, they, I, I, I can't even get the words out. He epitomizes this role. He does. Raul Julia chews up every single scene he's in. <laughs> there is yes. this bombastic quality about this man that just, you just want to sit with your hands steepled under your chin and go, I love you. And he took the John Aston interpretation and sort of ramped it up. And I feel like John Aston was more of a gleeful child. Mm -hmm. And Gomez, as portrayed by Raul Julia, is the same. But he has this bombastic is the perfect word you use. Just lust for life that yes. he jumps around and he spreads his arms out and he speaks this flowery language. And he just every moment, it feels like he is on 11. It, it, even when he's being... Very direct and very mm -hmm. poignant. You still feel that it's taking everything in his power to hold that back, to keep those reins on himself. And you even see it in his, in his mannerisms, his cranking mm -hmm. of his hands to bring that point together. It's just, it's yes. the best. It's the absolute best. He has best. to physically hold himself in because he has so much energy and so much joy for life. Oh, so good. And the object of a lot of his joy is Morticia, which I thought was played beautifully by Angelica Houston. By the beautiful Angelica Houston, too. Of course. Oh, she is gorgeous in this. The, the, the costuming, it just seems like if the original Morticia started and made the mold, mm -hmm. Angelica Houston came back in and filled it with oozing perfection mm -hmm. of Morticia. She cemented it. Where Gomez right. is this in-your-face, loud, bombastic, boom, boom. She's the calm center. She's the anchor for the family and for Gomez. And I think that's why they complement each other so well, is that she is this pillar of strength and subtlety and beauty, and he's this exuberant force that's just bouncing around, but they're connected to each other, so he doesn't fly off on his own. He always sort of hovers around his family, but he, he's he got this energy that, like you said, can barely be contained, and it's wonderful to see that on film. 
And I want to move on to one of my favorite performances, Christopher Lloyd as Uncle Fester. Yes. I mean, everybody in the audience knows Christopher Lloyd probably best as Doc Brown in Back to the Future. Mr. Character Actor. Let's just get that out there. Mr. Character Actor. Right. He just melts into whatever role that he goes into. And it's amazing. Some of the scenes he's in, he looks four feet tall and about 350 pounds, but he's not. He's a tall, kind of lanky guy. Yes. But he just, I'm I'm sure they had padding on him. It kind of reminded me of Herman Munster a little bit, the padding that they must have had on him. But still, he shrinks down. It looks like his neck goes away. And the scenes where he's just got his neck cranked down and he's just looking up at, I'm thinking of the scene with uh, Debbie and he's got the breadsticks up his <laughs> mouth like a walrus and he just looks at her. And I'm just <laughs> laughing, thinking about that right now. But the physical comment comedy he brings to it with his eyes his mouth yes. just every piece of his body is in this role of fester and he he nails this aesthetic of being a a, a rotund guy but mm-hmm. looking so hollow at the same time right and it right. just it, it, you would think there would be the disparity of like a skull on top of a pumpkin but he nails mm-hmm. it he absolutely right. nails it and of course we'll follow that up with the children Christina Ricci, which I don't know about you, but I had a pretty big crush on Christina yes. Ricci back then. And this movie did it. This movie is what put <laughs> right. it in there. There's a reason that I, I flocked to a uh, a dark-haired, pale-skinned woman, and Christina Ricci is it. <laughs> and she's so... I feel like she fleshed the character out more with her performance. I think the character probably played a little older in the movies, which helped. But she's fed up with dealing with the world. And she's just living her life how she wants to. And if you want to come along, fine. But if you don't, then I'm going to stab you and throw you in this chair and electrocute you. She was snark personified. She said (laughs) all the things we as teenagers wanted to say to our parents and we couldn't. Yes. And I'm thinking about the scene in the second movie. And then mommy kissed daddy, and the angel told the stork, and the stork flew down from heaven and left a diamond under a leaf in the cabbage patch, and the diamond turned into a baby. Our parents are having a baby, too. They had sex. Zoom. (laughs) (laughs) They touch upon this a couple of times in both movies, that the Adams kids are just intelligent kids who like to experiment, which I call that a scientist. I think yeah. they would be perfect scientists. They're always experimenting, and their parents encourage them to do things that make them expand their knowledge base. Exactly. And, I like and it seems like they're parents that genuinely trust their children. And that, that's yes, something. That's huge. Another reason, you know. I say we in the general sense, I think 90s kids latched onto this was because it seemed like all the interactions were the way we wanted our parents to treat us. This is they, for the most Mm -hmm. part, trusted our judgment. We got to act like we wanted, say what we wanted. These kids were very empowered and that's what we wanted to be. And they were comfortable in their own skin. They didn't question themselves. No, not at all. I guess while we're talking about the kids, we'll move on to Pugsley, portrayed by Jimmy Workman. And I thought he was a really good Pugsley. The little bit of experience that I had with the TV show, it didn't seem like Pugsley 
did much. Those kids were set pieces in the original show. Yeah. That's the major difference here. These kids in here were the Adams kids. Yes. I think that's why these movies were so popular and are so enduring because we made such a connection with Pugsley and Wednesday. And I think the second movie sort of cemented that when there's juxtaposed against the happy-go-lucky campers, this pretty overt criticism of the uber-happy, fun-time, you know, privileged oh, of America white kids. Too. Of America, <laughs> right. too. You look at in the first film, and keep in mind, guys, we're going to jump around a lot because there was so much. There's no, absolutely no way we could do this in <laughs> canonical fashion, so get ready to zip around. We're going to take a page from Raul Julia and just let everything flow yes. and just expand our arms and yell at you, and yes. hopefully you'll enjoy it. There's a specific scene where they have the PT meeting some form of fashion morticia's at the school and she's yes. walking with one of the other teachers wednesday is an excellent student but frankly i'm concerned you see this is our class bulletin board this month our theme is our heroes people we love and admire you see susan ringo has chosen the president isn't that sweet and harmony fell has picked jane Pauley. Have you spoken to her parents? But Wednesday brought in this picture. Calpurnia Adams. Wednesday's great aunt Calpurnia. She was burned as a witch in 1706. They say she danced naked in the town square and enslaved a minister. Really? Oh, yes. Don't worry. We've told Wednesday, college first. And it's this this indictment of '90s culture that where we epitomize, yes. you know, the 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 big smiling people on TV, and they just right. tear it apart in a nice satirical way. And there was another scene that was kind of in the same vein in the second movie when it's revealed that Debbie is actually this Black Widow serial killer, and they're going across all of her. You know, it's it's her in a blonde wig, it's her in a red wig, and then they go to who is it? Kathy Lee. Gifford. Kathy Lee Gifford. <laughs> they just hold that for a few seconds. <laughs> I laughed till I hurt. I had to pause the film and start it back up. It's, it's, it was like almost midnight when I sat and watched this again. But I had right. to pause, contain myself, and then watch it again. And it's 2016, guys. Yes. That should not be that funny, but it was hysterical. Yes. And I think that's a great note of the humor that they tried to bring to this. And they didn't do it often. I think they kept it sort of sparse enough so that the movies don't seem dated. But they do have those little jabs where if you were around back then, that's pretty funny. Yeah. (laughs) Just to include a random picture of Kathy Lee Gifford with all these serial killers. (laughs) And like you said, it's an indictment of this sort of polished, smiling faces on TV. And I think that's the other thing. We, we touched a little bit about, the, about this when we talked about the television show, but it goes back to the idea that the Adams family were, we are who we are. We're comfortable in our space. Right. And they bridged out a little more from, we're okay here to, maybe some of the things you guys think are normal and good aren't so normal and good. Maybe what we have is a little special. What we have is a little better. Right. Um, so the plots of the films kind of run down this way. And keep in mind, they are very similar. Uh, Gomez's brother, Fester, has been missing for 25 years. When his lawyer gets wind of this information, he joins forces with an unscrupulous client of his in an attempt to convince the Adams family that the client's son is actually Fester, who's been lost in the Bermuda Triangle. (laughs) 
Uh, second film, the Adams have, have had a baby, uh, something Wednesday and Pugsley are not happy about. When Wednesday voices suspicion about the intentions of the new nanny, the children get shipped off to an unspeakable hell on earth. Summer camp. Oh, no. <laughs> Meanwhile, Fester courts the nanny, who just happens to be a gold-digging black widow. Killer. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, just his type of woman. <laughs> now, at first blush, these don't seem like they're very similar, but the two films actually have very similar undercurrents of Fester is the central piece, oddly enough. Right. And there's a wedge being driven or a wedge being exploited by some female force. Um, right. So, at the beginning of the first film, right? Well, I wanted to go a little deeper into talking about Fester because I kind of thought a little bit about why Fester was used as sort of a pivot point mm-hmm. for both movies. And I think maybe one reason is because the rest of the family can be themselves and they're more interesting when they're almost secondary to the main plot because they have a little more wiggle room. They don't have to follow the plot. They just sort of do their own thing and they're interacting with the world. And it's more of a a day in the life type look at the atoms, which I think lets them shine a little more. And I think Fester, because of Christopher Lloyd, is a dynamic character Mm -hmm. that sort of bounces back and forth. For instance, in the first movie, he's this man-child that's under the care of his doting mother. And I guess we'll jump right into it. He approaches uh, with his mother, the lawyer of the Adams family, and they sort of develop a plot. The lawyer has noticed that he bears a striking resemblance to Fester. And so... In, in a great establishing couple of scenes at the top of the film where you get this piece by piece coming yes. from Gomez to Morticia to him coming into the home, and that they kept the rug... Did you notice yes. that? The rug that attacked him? Yes. Every time in the, the TV show when someone would step on the rug, the bear would growl. But in the movie, it actually jumped up and bit Tully's leg, which I thought was pretty great. That was awesome. And then, you know, those couple stepping stone scenes leading into mm-hmm. Tully seeing all this money or trying to see the money. And that establishment right. of that part of the plot lead into scene you were describing. We see Abigail Craven and her son are in his offices. No, no, it's not what you think. Those are doubloons for the Adams account. Adams? There's more. There's a fortune, but nobody can get to it. Don't you think I've tried? Have you? Have you tried hard enough? Ask him, sweetheart. No, 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 sweetheart. Don't ask. Dan Hedaya plays this lawyer great. and There was another great scene with him where he was looking for the money, and he looks over to the side, and there's Lurch staring at him with a feather duster and an apron. And that, that actor that played Lurch in this one was such a, almost a child himself in the way he interacted with everybody. It was a very different characterization of what you saw, you know, just from Charles Adams' original drawings. Right. But it was still that big, menacing-looking, really tall butler character. But mm-hmm. he never came across as m- actual malice like no. the original tr- Lurch did. The right. original Lurch was very much a... I could probably break you. This one's more like, I don't know if I could break you, but if I did, I would be sorry about it. Right. And there's a very touching scene between him and a tree. Do you remember that one? (laughs) In the first movie, when they're asked to leave their home, they're packing up, and he's uprooted the tree, and I think he's tying it to the car or something, but he's like holding it 
like it's one of his family members and sort of petting it and I guess saying it's all right, it's all right. <laughs> right, because he's the the groundskeeper, he's the butler, yeah. he's the nurse, he's the nanny, he's everything. And he does in in the movies, he has a heart that he displayed in the TV show, but I think in the movies they sort of made that the anchor of his character. Like you said, in the TV show, it's his imposing nature, but in, in the movies, I think he's pretty much all heart. Yeah. Yeah, the big, the big quote unquote lovable oaf, as it were. Right. Um, but, so, you know, you got the establishing shots, you get that first part of the plot where, uh, uh, the lawyer is, is getting punched up and they, they hatch their plot to get back with the Adamses. And then they come to a seance scene where mm-hmm. they, they're talking about it and they do this. I don't know what it was about this scene, but it had me rolling. Pastor Adams! Gather your strength and knock three times. Did you hear that? Ask again, Mama, quickly. By all means. Ask, ask. Fester Adams, I demand that you knock again. Which to me was shades of Clue, uh, the movie where it's like the front door and everybody scrambles over to the front door. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was so cool. That was so funny. Diverting a little bit, but along the lines of just the, the seeing the dichotomy between the characters, Christina Ricci, just a great actress. Every scene with her in it is just awesome. She is 100% committed mm-hmm. every single time. The seance, she's got her head down, her arms are outstretched <laughs> right. on the table, and she is morose little Wednesday sitting there. Uh-huh. And she's got that great scene where, in the second movie, where Debbie's writing a note or something, and I think she's thinking something out loud, and she hears, I think it's the suit of armor creak, and she looks to it. She kind of looks around warily, then she goes back to what she's doing, and they cut to a shot of the wall, and Wednesday is sitting there in perfect camouflage against the wall, and she just sort of moves her eyes over to watch Debbie. <laughs> One eye, and then closes it again. <laughs> yeah. <was> awesome. <laughs> that was a great moment. Um, and we haven't talked about this yet. The set for this film yes. was awesome. It's beautiful. Every little touch point they put in it, into it to pictures on the walls to um, cobwebs here and there, dust that flew up, blankets, and it, just the right lighting and the right accents. And just the, the this macabre, it looked like something out of an old school dentist office in yeah. some places. <laughs> and just amazing scene setting. And you kind of get introduced to the house by thing because he's always running through it and running up to to tell Gomez that someone's at the door. That's a good point, though, because it's something I was going to bring up. You have the main Adams family cast. You have, you know, Fester, Grandmama, Morticia, everybody. But one cast member that a lot of people leave out that they don't really mention in anything I've seen is the house. Yeah. The house is a, is a member of the family. The gate reacts to people. The doors yes. open of their own volition sometimes. Mm-hmm. The shutters on the windows move of their own accord. The vines on the house. Exactly. The plants. Mm-hmm. It's all like it's this living creature that they inhabit and that they have a cohabitation with. Right. Um, and it's its own little, you know, member of the household. And And you get to see the kids play. Every scene of the kids playing had me 
cracking up because it, it, that that one great scene where Christina Ricci and uh, uh, the young young gentleman playing Pugsley, she goes, Pugsley, sit in the chair. And he comes and straps in. What are we going to play? It's a game called Zoom Into Her Face. Is there a God? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you just, it, it seems like that throughout the entire film where you get this, you, you, you hit the nail on the head earlier with talking about the differences between the children of the two movies. They are, there is a distinct difference with the way Wednesday was portrayed. This, this characterization of her is what people remember. They, let's right. be honest, they don't remember the original kids for anything. No. Those poor kids, yes, they filled their role, but these two kids here were what cemented Pugsley and Wednesday, period. Right. For sure. And um, one thing I noted, it seemed like, did you get the feeling in the second movie that Wednesday was more obsessed with heads and beheading than she was in the first movie? <laughs> I feel like she had sort of grown her headless doll collection, and she talked about he- beheadings a lot. Yes, yeah, and I think they may have the the tone of that again. Not seeing other episodes of the original TV show, but having seen the first episode where she came in and made that comment in the original mm-hmm. TV series of, "Oh, this is Marie Antoinette. We were playing uh, French Revolution." Right, and I think they keyed off of that a lot for sure. And. Um, they move that on to uh, Wednesday and Pugsley trying to play with the baby, and they're trying to bounce him on cement, and they try to put him in the guillotine, but then he shows them up by grabbing the blade with his little chubby hand. Yeah, in the second <laughs> film. That was, anytime you see the kids playing with each other, it is just spot on great. Spot on. I mean, they just, they, they nailed it, this, this childlike non-understanding of things with mm-hmm. this grim... Just grim, just dark, gothy things that they have for this. I just don't know how to. It's it's hard to put it into words. That aesthetic right. that the Adamses have, and um, to me, that's a '90s aesthetic too. It, yeah. It's infused with that '90s feeling too of that darkness, and that was very popular then. So you know, again, the, the film progresses on. They do a lot of back and forth of of is Fester really who he is? Is he not? Uh, there's a, a a small side piece where Gomez uh, wrecks the trains for the first time in a fit mm-hmm. of anger, where he thinks, "No, it can't be my brother." And you get this great setup scene where Fester is going to fulfill his end of the deal they made at the beginning of the film. But you can almost feel like he's getting a little attached to the family and, and mm-hmm. kind of working right. his way in there and feeling like he actually belongs. Uh, but Gomez has this awesome scene where he shakes the whole house playing with the trains. You get to see a couple of the other characters feeding into this granny doing her thing in the kitchen. And then he just wrecks the trains and flips out and Raul, again, Oh, Julia chewing the scenery up. Mm-hmm. And did you notice the little guy in the train? Who that is was the that weirdest man? thing. That was the weirdest damn thing in the whole movie. I have seen this film so many times when I was younger. Uh-huh. I had completely forgotten about that. Me too. When I watched it again, I went, "What?" And I had I to rewind. Back. Yeah, I backed it up. Yeah. and rewatched the scene, and I went, "There's a little guy in the train," and he didn't react to this giant Gomez Adams cackling at him. He didn't yeah, react like, at Ooh. all. So I don't know if that guy's. In purgatory, and I, I don't. I, I want to know what's happening there because he's in this little train. It's a man. Midnight Layer brings you fan fiction: <laughs> the guy from the Adams Train, scene one. Yeah. So, Excellent. yeah, it's man. This it's, movie is just so full of good things. Yeah, it really good is. Little moments. 
And they so, had a lot of, speaking of the train gag, they had a lot of touch points from the series that I think when they conceived of this movie, I think they tried to go back to the darker feeling that Charles Adams illustrations had because I mean, obviously right up front, they have that scene with the carolers and they come in with the Christmas music and they've got this hot cauldron of something that they're going to dump on these people. Straight out of his comics. Yeah. Straight out of his comics. If you Google that, you can find an image that looks exactly like that opening scene. And I think that was sort of a mission statement for them to say, we're going to be a little darker than the TV show. But I, there were a couple of, I did a little bit of research and there were a couple of things that they did seem to get from the TV show that were never present in Charles Adams cartoons. One of them was the train gag and the fact that Gomez plays with trains that was directly from the TV show. And then really his and Morticia's relationship was something that the show brought about the Charles Adams illustrations didn't show anything spectacular between them. And that was something that, uh, John Aston and, uh, what was her name? Carolyn, uh, Jones mm-hmm. brought to that role. And that's something obviously they brought from that to the, t- to the movies because people were familiar with that. And, uh, let's see, there was also, like you said, the bear, the bear rug gag was great when they brought that back and they brought it back in a very movie way because it didn't just growl at him. It wasn't just a sound gag. It actually jumped up and bit onto his leg and he hopped around a little bit. And that I think is what really sold this film is, is that they, I don't think the, the, the kids of our era you know, kids born in the 80s that grew up in the 90s had any real background with the cartoon per se. But I right. think that original work that inspired the TV show and appealed to the people of that era, when you went back to the source material and brought about what we had in this film, that's why it resonated with us because it went back to the original source material. It right. took those little fun, kitschy things and stepped them up a notch, stepped them up for what the kids of the radical dude era really <laughs> wanted to, to see. Right. Um, you know, it, 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 one of the notes here on this is uh, how Morticia's got her vampire lighting right in her face. Every Again, moment. Every, without fail, there is some kind of gleam on her face, like Lugosi, right. uh, the original Dracula. And for the life of me, I can't remember that being a trope of the original show. I think that was no. original for this for this production. I uh, think so. And, and it worked. It 100% worked. For sure. Because, like you said, when you see that lighting of sort of the top half of someone's face highlighting their eyes, you think vampire. Yes. It it looks like the shadows are an extension of her dress, and they're just wrapping around her, protecting her from whatever. And it is a great effect that they use repeatedly. From the dreaded sunlight that she has Gomez fight for her at the beginning of the film. <laughs> right. <laughs> Speaking of fight scenes, the movie progresses on. And again, as, as Fester kind of gets in good with the children, and the children really become the anchor for him for mm-hmm. getting back with the family, you go on to this hilarious scene in the film where they have this full stage production. It, it, essentially, they're doing a, a reproduction <laughs> of one of the uh, Shakespeare pieces mm-hmm. and at the house, and Fester steps in to say, no, 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 you're doing it all wrong, and becomes ingrained in it and works with him. And again, it's one of those hooks to bring him more into the family. Um, you do get to the play itself, though, where he's brought them some <laughs> props, and they're play fighting, sore fighting, and it's this whole complete 
foil to this little happy-go-lucky, we're uh-huh. kids and we're singing and we're dancing. And then here <laughs> comes this grim, gritty pair that starts slicing each other up. And you have <laughs> fake blood flying all over the audience, everywhere, all yeah. over them, and the audience is having the same reaction Adams did when they saw the other piece. They are just frozen in their seats, and they look like the front row of a Gallagher show. Yeah, <laughs> that's a perfect example. That's a perfect description of them. Except instead of picking watermelon seeds out of their hair, they got to wash blood out of their clothes. Oh, it was Fake like it blood. was like a Guar concert. It was hilarious. <laughs> it was good, and it, 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 you would think that something that over the top gory. <laughs> really wouldn't fit into right. something like this. It's kind of ooky spooky kooky like the song says. Mm-hmm. Um but it, it was just a perfect little scene where these kids are just covered in gore. Yeah. And um, I think I think one reason scenes like that work in these movies is cuz they're very they're very matter of fact. They don't point to it as sort of a sight gag. It's just something that happens throughout the course of the scene and they just let the camera linger on it. And yes. I think that's a testament to um, Barry Sonnenfeld's sort of, if you've seen any of his other movies, that's kind of his wheelhouse, I think, is sort of letting the comedy happen. And he just happens to catch it in the real moment that's happening on screen. Yes. Yes. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. And again, I, I just, you know, full disclosure here, guys, I'm rewatching this scene again now and I'm just <laughs> chuckling. This is hysterical. They are just coated in just a buckets of blood. And they're just sitting there blinking at the end of the play. They're just staring up at them. You know what I wonder is, as the scene progresses, and one of the other themes of the film is wandering through the graveyard that exists at the back of the Mm -hmm. Adams residence. I'd love to take that shot by shot and see where they made some, like, maybe little funny call tags back to some people. Mm -hmm. Because you look at some of these... um, Oh my gosh, I can't think of the word. Tombstones uh, of these different people. And you almost wonder, are any of these nods to any of the cast? Are these nods to uh, things that had to do with the Adams family as you go? But they are so... um, I don't think Tim Burton really had anything to do with this, but they had that Tim Burton feel, that that gothy air to everything. I felt like they, they almost seemed like 3D representations of what could be Charles Adams illustrations. I don't know if they actually were, but he had c- kind of that bulky, like human potatoy look that, uh, Gomez kind of has in his, his illustrations. That's true. That's true. A lot of those do have that same, uh, I didn't even think about that. That's a good point. They all do look like Adam's original work. That's <laughs> no, that's, that's again, you find more things about this film that made you just absolutely love it. Right. So the film progresses through, and uh, again, how most of us have seen this, Fester, over time, becomes so enamored of the family that he becomes one of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, Levi, I'll let you take this one. The dance scene. The party. Oh, right. The mamushka. That was a great scene. Showing a little bit of the Adams family traditions. And I feel like at this point, Fester is fully integrating into the family. And they have this great rousing dance number. Uh, there was one cut that I really liked. They cut to Morticia and she's playing a violin out of nowhere. She's produced a violin and she's playing it. 
Well, the, the entire scene is just, again, this, this mod podge of all these different little kooky characters that sometimes only are in the scene for, like, seconds. There's mm-hmm. a guy playing a, a cobra as a, as a uh, saxophone right. or flute. There's some <laughs> random woman in just a rundown ballerina outfit dancing around the room. There's a guy that's, that's a Siamese twin. It's two guys put together. They're dancing. All you do is see them in the background, dan- da- background dancing with people. Mm-hmm. It was the craziest scene. <laughs> and then and- it brings in one of people's, one of everyone's favorite characters, Cousin It. Right. He's not playing metal. No. He's not playing anything. Who's he He's- playing? He's jamming MC Hammer MC as he rolls Hammer, up to the house. Too legit to quit. <laughs> I almost fell off the couch. I was laughing. I'm like, how much more? The only thing more 90s would have been if he'd come out and downed a Pepsi and then put it back in the car. Right. That would have been the I only mean, thing more 90s. This is a scene that it seems like any time they would talk about the Adams family, they would play this scene, this little clip here of cousin it walking into the party and i remember that i sort of had a fascination with this car and the one that steve urkel drove you mentioned oh family yeah, 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 yeah. and i actually looked into them these are three-wheeled cars known as bubble cars because they have the sort of curved glass and they look mm-hmm. like a bubble and uh the one that cousin it is driving is a 1960 Messerschmitt KR200 and it was also known in Germany as a Kabinenroller or a cabin scooter and that is so cool <laughs> these were produced by the Messerschmitt AG company which produced aircrafts for Germany during World War II and they were banned from producing aircraft after the war so then they switched to cars and uh, that's where cousin it's car comes from from these cars that were produced from 1955 to 1964 so i thought huh. that was pretty interesting that's a pretty cool tie back to the same era of the original show though that's right. pretty neat um but we get we get to this scene and and the dance number is just <laughs> bonkers it's incredible you, know, you you have the these 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 little pieces in the film where it's very dark and it's brooding and it's very moody and it's melodious and it flows through most of the film but then you have these over-the-top, crazy pieces like the dance number here where they're flinging knives at each other <laughs> and singing this song back and forth and flipping all over the screen mm-hmm. that are, again, that fast motion stuff that's in most of these these 90s, I don't want to say cash grab films, but it's a lot of these films that were filmed very similarly right. where you had very fast-paced camera action and stuff like that mm-hmm. uh, that, that are near and dear to my heart. I, I love it. A lot of people give it a lot of, of ribbing, but that to me is just one of the great pieces of the '90s films, like this that you watch. That you get that like that same feeling of a, a '90s film, right? And it, I think it's an extension of that joy that Gomez Adams feels all the time. And yes. I, I def, I'm like you. I feel that when I watch these movies, and I know it's really thick nostalgia, but. I get that feeling too where I'm just energized and I get excited and it's fun to watch these people jump all over the screen and do their acrobatics and all their crazy things. Well, the party progresses. We get through that again. Amazing scene. Uh, The family kind of finds out that Wednesday is missing for the most part, not around because she actually happened upon uh, Fester and the doctor uh, talking. 
mm-hmm. and she kind of runs away from the rest of the family and uh, <laughs> is later found by uh, Gomez in one of the uh, the crypts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this leads to them uh, setting up for the next part where we see this. The movie takes a real flip at this point uh, in the plot. And it was kind of jarring because you, on the one hand, it, before I get too far, you get this really neat scene of Gomez scooping Wednesday up and getting her into his arms and um, walking out of the cemetery with her. It was a really well-shot little scene that I thought was cool, just kind of showing, oddly enough, a lot of tender, fatherly mm-hmm. love. Right. Um, but then it, after they find her, they get back and find out that the lawyer has hatched a plot to say, aha, the clauses and everything now that Fester is the oldest and back say that he gets everything for the Adamses. You guys are out. And they kick them out of their own home. Mm-hmm. So now you have this separation, like we'd mentioned earlier, the fan, the Adamses being on their property, their their land, and being themselves and being in their bubble to being shoved out into the world. Right. All of the monsters. Mm-hmm. And it is very jarring to see them, the suave, in their element people, and you just get to watch Raul Julia disintegrate as Gomez Gomez Adams, and you just watch Gomez fall apart. He's eating Fritos out of one of those 90s Fritos bags. He just sitting him on his chest, leaned back, and his family wants him to go out, and he's kind of like, why? Why should we go out? <laughs> and uh, uh, talking about that, though, I know I mentioned Pepsi earlier. This movie is product placement, the oh, film. Oh, gosh. But the... Wednesday's Eating's Tricks, uh-huh. Tombstone Pizza is in the background in like oh, an we established have to... scene. We have to go, yeah, we have to go through that scene, the lemonade scene. Oh, my This is gosh. a classic scene from this movie. Um, we bring in this Girl Scout played by Harmony, uh, that's not her name, Mercedes McNabb, who played yeah. Harmony Star in the Buffy and Angel TV series, if you're familiar with those. She did. Yes. This is why you're the research guy. That is, I had forgotten <laughs> I immediately about that. recognized her. And apparently, uh, I came across in my research, she was voted one of the 25 sexiest celebrities by Playboy magazine in 2007. So hmm. that's kind of interesting. Thanks, Adam's family. <laughs> yeah, sure. But um, she has this great scene where uh, the Adam's family kids are trying to sell lemonade to make a little cash to help the family out and Lurch tests it and it makes smoke come out of his head and everything. And then she comes by and asks if their lemonade is made with real lemons. And (laughs) they, you know, they banter back and forth and she's like, well, I'll buy some of your lemonade if you buy some of my Girl Scout cookies. And Wednesday just deadpan asks, are they made from real Girl Scouts? (laughs) And this is the scene you're talking about where behind, uh, Lurch's head and behind the Girl Scout's head, there's a huge tombstone pizza billboard that has that line, what do you want on your tombstone? I mean, it's just in your face. It's even bigger, I think, than Lurch's head. It dominates three-fourths of the screen. (laughs) That is the biggest... Demolition Man did not have advertisement no. that big, and every restaurant was Taco Bell, yes. guys. It's insane. It was then, It was pretty crazy. It's funny to me, when we're talking about the advertising, the comparison of, or I should say, the product they chose at that point, Tombstone Pizza, Tombstone mm-hmm. Adams Family, right. thing, and then that, that they 
it, again, very 90s thing of, what do you want on your tombstone? Yuck, 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 elbow nudge, elbow nudge. Uh-huh. It's like, really? Okay, guys, we get it. We get <laughs> I remember it. those commercials, too. <laughs> and I wanted to mention while we're on her, Mercedes McNabb also comes back in the second movie to play Amanda Buckman, one of the, uh, and in fact, the camper that's sort of a foil to Wednesday throughout that movie. Did you notice that? Ah. <sighs> I should have. It was the exact same actress. <laughs> I should have. You might not have watched different... as much Buffy as I have, because I immediately, the second I saw her, I recognized her in both well, movies. I wonder, is it the same character, though? I don't know. I don't think they ever give the Girl Scout a name. And in my head, I think it's kind of funny if it is the same character, and she meets these totally different uh, eccentric people, and she doesn't even remember who they are, which plays into the character. Exactly, because she was very much a uh, you know, you're just the help kind of uh, right. influenza girl. And she's yeah, she's a little too her nose is a little too high in the air to even notice who she's stepping over at the moment. So after that scene, you know, the movie progresses again of of seeing the Adamses in suburbia in the actual outside world, as it were. And it plays up to the point where we're getting toward the end of the film, where Morticia just says, I've had enough. And she goes back to the mansion to try Mm -hmm. to straighten things out. And you get another really cool visual of uh, really seeing from a distance, seeing Angelica Houston really move in the outfit. Yeah, she glides. It's it's awesome. It's so cool to see from the original show that really kind of Uh little stop motion, little little itsy-bitsy steps that the original took to see her in the same outfit, same tight black dress, but just to watch her glide across the screen. Right. It's just, it's so cool. And Um, I think it adds to her whole vampire nature as well. It's like she's being moved through the ether. It's just, it's the visuals, guys. The visuals are so cool. And this, ugh, I could go on for days. (laughs) She makes her way back to the mansion. Thing uh, is right on her heels. Uh, They have not been able to get into the vault uh, where all the money is stored yet. So they think, okay, we'll put her on the rack, which again, another great uh, gag of, <laughs> of her getting cranked up on the rack and she looks up at Tully and it's like, you've done this before. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, and we get, you know, a couple other real, you know, quick motion scenes of, of Thing. And I got to say, you, you started to touch on this when we were talking about the uh, original show and Thing there versus Thing here. The camera work and the way they did this without, you know, there was really no preconceived other than the hand coming out of the box and a little bit of the artwork itself. Mm-hmm. But they made Thing into this whole brand new character, a new, right. you know, reinvigoration that just worked. And he was in so many other commercials during that time mm-hmm. and uh, other performances. And it was a real standout performance of a hand that just, you know, really. You know, rang true with a lot of us, I mean, and we remember that. That's one of the main things we remember from this film is that portrayal of Thing, right? And the actor's name is Christopher Hart, and I kind of wrote as a joke in in my notes. He's kind of the Andy Circus of this movie. <laughs> he just he just puts that characterization into his part, and the way he moves, the way his fingers flail around. One of my favorite moves he does is when he snaps his fingers. He kind of hops. And snaps his fingers. I thought yes. that was a nice touch. 
it's it's just everything again the the for something that may or may not have been taken as seriously as this was that's what i valued about these films is that they took something that could have been just super silly source material played for the laugh track and they dove head first into it and appreciated the material for what it was and treated it with some mm-hmm. level of seriousness. And I think that shows through to the rest of the film, and that's what made this work. Right. In both films. In both films. Right. And the budget certainly helped because yeah. they were able to get these great actors, and like I've mentioned before, Barry Sonnenfeld directing, and the the scripts were just sort of vessels to show these characters. Anyone who... I, I read some reviews that picked apart the plot of these movies. And personally, you were talking about nineties movies earlier. I think that was kind of a thing in the nineties too, where, you know, and it's still a thing with movies now, but especially in the nineties, it was, don't worry about the plot. Let's just show you this stuff. And, you know, we're going to make a showcase for all of these things that you love to see in the TV series. And we're going to give you some new stuff. And they were able to devote a lot of energy to the mood and the costumes yes. And just make everything be top-notch quality. And this movie does come off visually and with costuming and the sets as an A movie for sure. Yeah, and you know, with them taking the time they did with the film, that's why you get such other little pieces. Like again, you know, we pointed out a few of them. The jokes they make. You had a point in the film where. Uh, Gomez and Fester are sitting there talking to each other and he's like what are you reading brother? He's like oh ho ho and they pull this <laughs> magazine out and it folds out. It's mom. <laughs> they, just both of them with this grin of aww and their mom's a centerfold. In Sizzle in magazine. A, in a nudie mag. Sizzle. Mm-hmm. That's creepy. <laughs> that was a great moment. That's creepy. <laughs> and so, they, they played a lot of those gags where you think it's going to go one direction but it goes another direction <laughs> and, and again it, it plays back to that you, you you can almost hear them themselves inserting the laugh track behind it right but when it doesn't come that's what makes the film even better it's like nobody's laughing <laughs> i'm laughing right. nobody else is laughing i'm just twisted as they are <laughs> well i want to touch upon a couple scenes my very favorite scene of either movie was in the second movie after Gomez has gone to the police station <laughs> and he's sad about his brother being gone and he's lying in bed and Morticia walks in and he's singing Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home, swing low. I laughed out loud. I had to pause the movie. Gomez is just devastated to the point where he's singing spirituals. <laughs> Such a great scene. And again, it's to Raul Julia's credit that he doesn't pull any punches. He just goes for it. Right. And speaking of going for it, I think we need to have a discussion about the double date between Morticia and Gomez and oh Fester and Debbie. They're out at this double date and the band starts playing the tango and they have this awesome dance scene between Gomez and Morticia and he zips the tablecloth out from underneath the plates and everything and he's using it as a uh, Toreador would use a cape. And he's swinging it around his shoulders and Morticia turns around and picks up these clams and use them as castanets. And 
it was just a really fun scene like the mamushka scene in the first movie and as much as the mamushka scene cemented kind of how the family is in this just boom burst of energy and and being as dark as it is this lust for life this scene really set the idea and and cemented the gomez and morticia are amorously in love with each yes. other to the point of at the end of the entire thing <laughs> they have the big kiss every champagne bottle bop, 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 around them <laughs> right and there's this cascade of of foamy champagne everywhere and the adults got it right they got it they got that joke but us as kids went whoa that was some <laughs> kiss and it's just it's so cool that they they again over two films, I mean, you look back in the 90s, it was a habitual thing where the second film was never as good as the first. This one was consistently just as good as the right. first film. To the point of, even though we knew, hey, these were not very um, different films in the sense of the pl- overall pro- plot and mm-hmm. pacing, um, but they were still both just as good. They could be watched by themselves together and still hold their own, even now. Right. And um, I guess since we're talking about the differences between the movies, we can move on to uh, Camp Chippewa. I can't really say enough how I enjoyed this, watching this in 2016. Oh, their condemnation of society in general? Just this over-the-top 90s quote-unquote metaphor. It's not really even a metaphor because they come out and say it so often. Right. Just this indictment of this... We're going to put smiles on our face because life's going great. While the rest of the world might not be doing as well as you, you just don't care (laughs) because you're one of the privileged ones. And then here come the Adams to shake everything up. Wednesday and Pugsley, just by the end of it, the camp literally looks like a war zone. It's There's smoke everywhere. And Wednesday and Joel kind of have a little thing with each other. One of the moments I liked was when they're hanging out behind the bleachers and he brings out his schizos and serial killer trading cards. I got him. Schizos and serial killers. I have almost a whole series. I'm only missing Jack the Ripper and that Zodiac guy. <laughs> and that's a joke that totally went over my head when I was a kid. Those are two of the most well-known serial killers that nobody knows their identity and he can't find the cards. What killed me about him, and again, being the older, you know, in my 30s now, looking at this film, he was where we poured ourselves. He Mm -hmm. was our conduit to the Adams. Right. The the strange kid, the weird one. When he pulled out the cards, the only thing Uh I could think of is, I had Garbage Pail Kid cards. Uh I'm that kid. That's me. I'm that nerdy kid yeah. who was into horror movies. <laughs> so it's just so cool that they, again, sans the family, sans the happy-go-lucky, cheery people. Mm-hmm. They gave us the person we were supposed to identify with, and they right. poured him right into the film. And it worked. It did. It so worked. It worked so well. And it worked also to develop the character of Wednesday more. Yes. There's a moment where they're sitting, I think, on a bench or something in front of the lake, and... Joel says something and Wednesday kind of looks over at him. He and says, everything could kill me. Everything wants me to die. Yes. And that's what gets her to cock her head <laughs> right. and kind of ooch, ooch. <laughs> and it's such a sweet moment. She's finally found someone that she can inflict her pain upon and he doesn't mind. 
And another really odd component of this camp was the Harmony Hut. Oh my god, that thing. When they they shoved them into this sort of chamber, it reminded me of the scene in A Clockwork Orange where they strap him down and they tie his (laughs) eyelids open and they make him watch all these films to sort of tame his wild behavior. They do the same thing except with Disney movies and Disney princesses. And there's an odd shot when they first establish the Harmony Hut, they're flashing around to the different items in it, and Joel is thrown in there, and he looks up, and there's a poster of Michael Jackson, and he starts freaking out. And I was like, is this pointing towards the Michael Jackson allegations? But when I did a little bit of research, I actually found out that Michael Jackson was initially going to create a video to promote Adam's Family Values. Really? It was a video called, I think it's, Is It Scary? Oh, the one the one that it wound up being like a Disney-style production with all the ghosts? Yes. Oh, okay. I think they used the same concept for Ghosts, which was a short movie that was directed by Stan Winston, written by Stephen King. You can look these up online. A lot of the same effects were used. And I believe it was last year this footage showed up. They had produced at the time of making this second film that they had intended to be released with the film. The basic premise of the music video is that these people are going to this the Adams Family house and they're kind of working themselves up into a tizzy, these parents. Like a lynch mob? Yes, lynch mob. That's the word. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and there's a long protracted scene of them walking through the mansion and trying to get through it. And they finally get into this room and this figure turns around and it's Michael Jackson. And the parents are saying, you're scary. You're scaring our kids. And he looks at the kids and says, am I scary? And they go, no. And he makes all these faces. And there's one point where he like tears his face off and he's a skull. And at the end of the movie, they're all headed out of the mansion and the kids walk down a staircase and Wednesday Adams steps out and says, do you want to come play with us? And she turns around and it shows Pugsley and Pubert sitting in these electric chairs being electrocuted. So that was supposed to be tied directly to the movie, but it just never got produced. I'd seen the actual goat, Michael Jackson's ghost. Really? It was well done, like thriller, like bad, all Mm -hmm. these other really well done over the top music videos Mm -hmm. he's done. And the choreography was great and it had that same aesthetic. So I could have seen them easily making that into something to touch the Adams family. And if you notice in Ghosts, they have an establishing shot of a mansion. I think it's actually the same mansion. They just use some of That's the same footage. Cool. That's cool. So, That's really cool. Anyway, I think that was possibly a joke that would have played off of that video. I think the reaction that Joel has is actually satire of people saying, children are scared of Michael Jackson because he's weird. I took it as an indictment, more so of pop culture. Ah, That's where I took it away. Like the whole idea of like everybody's in the top 40 and everybody's Ah. just a cog in the machine and oh, everybody's listening (laughs) to Michael Jackson. Right. So after uh, they, you talk about the Harmony Hut, that's what leads to these next couple of scenes where Wednesday comes out and actually does the first full blown Wednesday smile to the (laughs) crowd (laughs) where all of the kids just (laughs) recoil from her. Right. (laughs) One kid goes, make her stop. She's scaring me. (laughs) So this leads to them getting to the performance, the play. Oh, man. This was the funniest part of this film to me. I laughed till I hurt. There were a couple of moments that my sensibilities have changed and I kind of was a little uncomfortable. Like when Joel Glicker's parents see him come out as chief running bear. 
Wow, I am Pocahontas, a Chippewa maiden. An Indian. Enough said. <laughs> and I am Running Bear, betrothed to Pocahontas. In the play. Twenty grand for summer camp. He's Mr. Woo Woo. Which sounds like a horribly racist way to call someone a Native American. And it's just further driving home that point that these people are uncomfortable with anyone that's not like them and that they just have no concept of what they're talking about. And I think also it rings true of what they could get away with in the 90s in films. Right. Because you look back at even Friends in that era, some of the jokes and all things they make. Oh, yeah. You would not dream of making those jokes right. nowadays. There, there was one phone, really funny moment when one of the counselors is calling the kids names. Let's not forget our cheery little Chippewas, Mordecai, Yang, Esther, um, Consuela, Irwin, and um, I'm still not sure just how to pronounce this. Jamal? 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 Whatever. There's a Key and Peel skit where it's an inner city yes. substitute teacher and yes. he goes like to the suburbs and he can't pronounce like the name Aaron. He's like, A A Ron, where's A A Ron? <laughs> and it totally reminded me of that, obviously in reverse. <laughs> and that's was, a pretty funny again, skit itself. Things, if you, can you, look it up. things you can get away with in the timing of the film. <laughs> right. <laughs> so they, they get through the entirety of this play. Pugsley steps up. They're talking about being the food and consuming it. Right. So naturally, Pugsley yells out, eat me. <laughs> the only thing better would have been if he'd have grabbed his own crotch right there on the screen. That whole play just culminates in this moment where the uh, Native Americans are going to come up and accept this gift of gratitude from the the white settlers and that's when wednesday makes her little addendum to the play and turns everything on its <laughs> head she goes from oh you nice great girl i really appreciate everything and then here comes wednesday boom her uh -huh. face drops like a guillotine <laughs> and she goes i'm sorry we cannot accept your gifts <laughs> for all that you have done sarah miller and all that you will do to my people we will have to kill you and burn your village down. <laughs> to which they try to kill all the other kids. Yes. And they burn the set to the ground. They literally try to kill them. And it it was amazing. So they get through the production. You get these great scenes with Wednesday and Ad, uh, uh, Wednesday, Pugsley, and Joel. And you get the, that great line at the end of it. <laughs> yeah. uh, where they're sitting there looking at each other through this. Through the through the chain link fence, yeah. right, 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 and they go. I'll never forget you. You won't. You're too weird. <laughs> Come on, such you, a great line. That was awesome. And you know what? You can have your Han and Leia moment. You know, uh, I love you. I know. I, I think this is a much sweeter and realistic moment. That, that was cute. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of a weird guy, and I've kind of had this moment sometimes. And no, it was touching. It was touching. And speaking of touching, it wouldn't be a 90s movie if we didn't have some energetic song over the credits. Oh, so do you no. want to go into each of these movies have their own distinct uh, Adams Family music? You were I guess... so happy about this part. <laughs> I was not. <laughs> it was so much fun. Those credits come up in the first in the first movie and you have MC Hammer jumping in with the Adams Family groove. I had totally forgotten this. 
and it made sense now that uh, cousin it was listening to uh, too legit to quit in his car <laughs> because it's the tie-in with MC Hammer doing the final song for the movie. Oh no! I tried <laughs> to forget about this, but you sending me these clips brought it all back. You're welcome. <laughs> and for- there's even a there's even a portion in the song, of course, where Hammer says too legit. I mean, he can't. I don't know that he can get through a song without think, saying no. That, I think he's contractually obligated to say it right. every. Oh my god! But it's great. They've got the parachute pants. And- <laughs> Let me be clear. I am a Hammer fan. I like his stuff. I will sing "Too Legit to Quit" at a karaoke. Hands down, I'll do it. This song was horrible. <laughs> it was say pretty what bad. They want to say do what they want to do. Do da da da. I'm like no. <laughs> No. And the effects. Did you see the effect that looked like a basketball with his face drawn on it, rolling around on the floor? You're talking about when they beheaded him at the beginning of the music video? It was terrible. It was terrible. It's it's just... but you know you you were saying something earlier about totally being 90s, along with the product placement. This is totally a 90s thing. Yes. And just these videos that are very very slightly related to the movie and it's just oh this this person's popular so let's have him write a song even though their form of music their their style their okay. skill don't match at all when will smith made straight to the wild wild west for the wild wild west movie mm-hmm. it worked because he was I- in the film he was part of the <laughs> right. DNA of that film. If they right. didn't do a title track on it, that let's let's say this out loud featured Cisco, I, I would have been upset. This movie <laughs> did not need Hammer. No. Hammer didn't need the Adams family. And there are scenes in this video with the actors and with Thing crawling all over his dancers in their crazy 90s Every parachute pants. Every single and- member of the Adams family, <laughs> except for Grandmama, is yeah. in this video. <laughs> Christopher Lloyd is Fester. And these aren't body doubles, guys. No. These are the actual actors in it. They were there. Oh, and my God. I'm surprised there was room for them on set with these shoulder pads. I mean, <laughs> my gosh. Or their hair? <laughs> Just or their so- hair? 90s it's so 90s yeah their hair is a cartoon unto itself it had (laughs) it had the sing-along portions subtitled at the bottom of the song okay right this is just (laughs) this was so bad and then hammer had his hammer meets gomez outfit on yes Uh that was a combination of the two outfits (laughs) right oh this was just so this made me Mm. well uh I guess we can move on to the sequel. Do we have Which to? I think you mentioned earlier, uh, there was a trend in the 90s for sequels getting worse. And I, I think that definitely happened with Adam's Family Values because we have Tag Team, which is the group behind the controversial uh, hit, Whoop, There It Is. And they come up with this amazing new song called The Adam's Family Hoop. Hoop. 
which is the same song with the words Adam's family put into it. I'm dying over here. <laughs> I am I am a walking corpse right now. Oh my god, is this song atrocious. It has tagged it's the same beat that ticka 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 riding the on same, a high hat. Yes. It's the same stinking song. And the oh. best part is the video. It opens with a shot of Wednesday Adams and a clap of thunder. She's looking down at the camera and goes, kick it. And there are portions of this that (laughs) I just, I don't know how to process this video. It goes, whoop, the Adams family, there it is. (laughs) No, no. If you want a rundown of this, we'll try to put in the notes. I found a BuzzFeed article that listed these eight ridiculous moments in this uh, video oh, and it, you just have to read them and watch this video i don't know that gil could get through them i watched both of these videos all the way through because i just love this stuff <laughs> <laughs> i mean and- as much as i am a bad movie addict and which was <laughs> is what led to midnight layer i cannot take the 90s aesthetic anymore i can't watch the video for the oh, thong see, song i'm the opposite i just enjoyed these videos so much because they're so 90s i just felt like the 90s was reaching out and slapping me and punching me and just <laughs> working me over like the adams kids would <laughs> no no can't do it can't do it can't do it no <laughs> i will say this though Le- levi's right go check these out guys they're worth it <laughs> they are a lot of fun um I guess, I guess with that, do you want to move into just sort of a uh, yeah? Let's let's just wrap let's, up of all this let's Adams. kick it to the end, man. Let's let's kick it kick to it to the all end. All right, let's see what you did. <laughs> so okay, Adams Family TV, Adams Family movies, mm-hmm. Adams Family in general. You got the impressions that neither of us really enjoyed the Adams Family TV. It was for a different era. I think it was so attached to that era that it really didn't resonate with us as much as we thought it would. But the movies were what hit us. The movies did yeah. for us what the Munsters did for us. And, you know, yes. They are going to still be timeless. They're, they're still part right. of our childhood. I wonder if part of that is that we have this newer version of the Addams Family that we relate to better. And it's, it's the same general thing, but it's something that's much more easily digestible for us. And with the Munsters, we don't necessarily have that, but we can look at it fondly and say, hey, I had a lot of fun. But yeah, you're right. The Adams Family TV show, I didn't get near as much fun out of it. It was aesthetically a really cool looking show being on that set. Like you said before, that house is probably the most interesting character on that TV show. Yeah, because it is its own character. And that's, I can't knock on the on the, the original show too bad because it was a great piece for its time. Mm-hmm. It helped keep that monster loving era alive and it's part of it. So yeah, I I really think that's going to wrap it up. Um, the only other thing I think we have to do is, is ask that telltale question, which is... What would Nim think of this show? Well, personally, I wish they'd move out of my mother's home. <laughs> <laughs> Nim would, Nim would, I think Nim would love both of these for their ooky and spooky and kooky appeal. This is right up his alley. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't surprise me if uh, watching the show, if you came across a scene where Nim's going to be humming the Adams Family theme <laughs> as well as <laughs> right. others. So this is definitely in his wheelhouse, 100%. Mm-hmm. I think it's worth it to note, you know, I don't want people to think that 
I disliked the old show or made them think that I, it was worthless or something. I think the Adams family, the TV show and the movie and just Charles Adams illustrations in general were an important thing to a lot of people because almost everyone has that moment where they feel like they're separate from everyone else or like they can't be part of society because they're just not enough like anyone. And there's a lot of people that feel that way most of their lives. And I think things like the Adams family make people feel like, okay, it's okay to be like that because there are other people out there. And it's the same reason the X-Men are so popular because the X-Men is sort of an allegory for these sort of social norms that separate people from other people because of their differences. And that's something the Adams family brings to the table. And it says, you know, let your freak flag fly and have fun, <laughs> do whatever you want, and you're going to have a good time. And like you said, we're going to invite you into our home. And that's what the Adams did, both on the TV show and the movies. 100% agreement. I couldn't have said it better. Well, Ghoulies, I think that's going to capstone our, our uh, remembrances of the Adams family. A couple of quick things to point out. Next episode will be Levi and I covering a film. One film, not two, so we don't yes, hop around not so two. much. <laughs> We're actually going to be tackling This Island Earth from 1955. Mm-hmm. Um, boys and girls are in for a ride. I have no idea what it's about, so I'm going to oh, go yeah. in cold. It's going to be great. You can always find us on the web at www.midnightlayershow.com. Uh, Facebook's your poison, facebook.com slash midnightlayershow. And if you're on there tweeting out to the public on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash TV. You can also find us on YouTube. A quick search of Midnight Layer will land you to our uh, vlogs for Midnight Layer, uh, as well as any tangential information related back to the show here, uh, the Bone Vaults. Um, Guys, goodbye. Thanks for listening to From the Bone Vault, and we'll see you next time. This is Gil. And this is Levi. Good night, and stay scary. Thank you for listening to episode 2.2 of From the Bone Vault, the Adams Family Movies. This has been a Midnight Layer Studios production.